Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Games Rig. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. Buffing my helmet in anticipation, I'm one of your co hosts, Luke Owen. And the other co host on this journey into the new year. I'm hoping my bangs will come in and I'll get to Uranus. I am Ash Versus. <laughs> this episode aired on the 31st of December 1992. We are one day away from 1993. Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You is, of course, still top of the charts, but at the top of the box office. Once again, it's Muppet Christmas Carol. It's not that there's not a lot to say about Muppet Christmas Carol. It's the fact that there is a tremendous amount to say about Muppet Christmas Carol, and in fact, much of it has been said in far better detail than we could go into in books on the Muppets, books on Jim Henson, commentaries, making of, so on and so forth. Uh, the one thing I will point out is the entire thing was filmed at Shepperton Studios. Hmm. It was filmed entirely on set, and they did a number of um, bits and pieces where they played with perspective for the streets. So the buildings got smaller and smaller and smaller in actual size, to kind of force that perspective and make the streets look a lot longer. And there is actually one shot, the shot right at the end during It Feels Like Christmas, where there's a crane shot. Yes. And at that point, you can actually see the optical illusion. You can see how it was done. And Brian Henson was aware of that, but kind of went, eh. I mean, I'll be honest, I've seen that film 20,000 times and I've never noticed that. So I think Brian made the right call on that one. Yeah, the wording was, decided the closing shot was worth it as they believed not many people would notice the error. The only problem, Luke, now you're never going to not see it. I was going to say, when I do the Muppet Christmas Carol sing-along, then yeah, I will now notice that. The only thing I can liken it to is Led Zeppelin's Since I've Been Loving You. You know the song? Mm Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard the squeaky (laughs) hi-hat? I have not, no. You're going to listen to that now. I'm just ruining (laughs) things for you. Truly, it is the gift of the new year. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know how much of our Muppet chat will have actually made it into the final edit of episode 13. A lot. I I was going to (laughs) say, broadly, I want to say we spoke for about half an hour on the Muppets. Do you know what? We didn't actually speak for that long. And I say that because I cut virtually nothing. Oh, wow. From that. It was a really fun chat. Your voices were excellent. I wanted to leave as much of it in as possible. Excellent. Well, good. That means you've heard pretty much all of our thoughts on the Muppets before we start our Muppet podcast. So, Luke, as it's the end of the year, we've had a year of looking at number one movies and number one songs. So I thought, for the last week of 1992, should we take a look back at the year? Oh, yes. And see what the top 10 singles of the entire year were? Because some of them we'll have heard... Some of them we won't have because of season breaks. And of course, being number one doesn't necessarily mean top grossing long term. So starting with the singles, top 10 for 1992. Number 10, a recent entry that we found very little to say about. Charles and Eddie, Would I Lie to You. Good track, that. Number nine, a song we had a lot to say about. The Shaman, Ebenezer Good. He's good, he's good, he's never been so good. As Dave Bulmer once said on this podcast. Speaking of never been so good, never get it out of our head, number eight is Wet 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 with Good Night Girl. Oof. Number seven, one that we didn't cover, Erasure, Abba-esque. Hmm. Number six, our current number one, it's Whitney Houston and I Will Always Love You. Because while it was at the top of the charts for a long, long time, it's still ongoing. It's at the tail end of the year. Directly on top of Whitney, it's Right Said Fred with Deeply Dippy. Oh, a song I absolutely love that I was gutted was during our mid-season break. Absolutely corking track. Do you know how good that song is? I put it onto mine and my wife's joint playlist that we have in the car, and she hates that song. But I think now she's starting to like it. And I can hear, I've heard her sing along with it. That's how good it is. She, she spite sings. I mean, I've been thinking about the next time I get to do karaoke, that is the song I'm going to fire up. Do you know what? It went onto my list as well, actually, after we (laughs) talked about it last time. At number four, a band I've never heard of with a song I've never heard of. It's KWS and Please Don't Go. To be honest, I had to go to YouTube to find out and remind myself, but I think I've heard that on like, I've got one of those sort of early 90s dance song compilation albums that are all sort of mixed together uh, like best of old school whatever and stuff and i think that i might have heard it on there that seems to ring a bell but uh, i yeah I, I wouldn't have been able to pick it out of a lineup i could tell you that much well i'm just checking my prized copy of now that's what i call music 21 they're not on there <laughs> well, I mean, for a song that did very, very well, apparently not many people remember it. Well, also, given the amount of times that the Now albums came out, it could have been on either Now 20 or Now 22. <laughs> Probably Now True. 22. At number three, another song we have covered, Boys to Men, End of the Road. I, I think we said everything we need to do about that song. <laughs> number two, it's Snap! Exclamation <gasps> mark With Rhythm is a Dancer. That is a fucking great song. Absolutely love that track. It is a great track. It's a great song. If it did reach number one, it must have done so in our mid-season break when we were discussing non-Games Master things and not really paying much attention to the charts. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it came in that period. But at number one, and I'll be honest, of all the songs that could have been the top grossing song of 1992, I'm glad it's this one. It's Shakespeare's Sisters. Stay. Because that came right at the end of series one for us. But having a quick look at Wikipedia, it was number one at the top of the charts from 22nd of February 92 to the 18th of April. 
So it's unsurprising that it was the biggest song of the year. Well deserving of that position as well. Yes. But let's move from vinyl products to celluloid products. Let's look at the top 10 box office films of 1992. Number 10, recent entry for us, it was Sister Act. Mm, very nice. Which grossed £7,779,459. In at number 9, it's a film we did our best to discuss sensitively and actually ended up just not discussing it at all because the last thing this film needs is two guys with beards talking about it. It's The Crying Game, which grossed £7,963,062. Number 8... We are absolutely not worthy. It's Wayne's World, £9,141,489. The other day, my wife said to me, that film got a sequel. And I was like, yeah, of course it did. It was a massive film. She was very surprised. She was like, I bet you it's rubbish. And I was like, "Ah, well, that is where you're wrong. It's just not as good as the first one. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's where you're wrong. It's not rubbish. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a 75% film. (laughs) But at number seven, we've got Patriot Games. Came out in 92, grossed £9,895,295. Guessing that must have fallen out of season for us, because I don't remember talking about that at all. Yeah, that would have been an out of season one for us. Number six is a movie I wish we'd got to talk about. It was Batman Returns. <gasps> yes, yeah, yeah. Big, big hit for July. I think it was actually number one at the box office for all of July uh, in the period that we missed. Now we're into the double-figure millions category. This grossed £10,432,937. But directly above it, by a hair, a film we did get to discuss... Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, £10,749,943. We had a nice uh, three-episode run of Star Trek VI. That was fun to discuss. Was it as fun as Batman Returns would have been? Maybe, maybe not. But a movie we touched upon literally two weeks ago, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, that's at the number four space, £11,773,898. Pretty good for the sequel. Yeah, not bad for the sequel. Another sequel to follow it. This a third in a series, Lethal Weapon 3. Ooh. £12,006,278. So that was a long-running one of the in the box office because it was only top of the box office for one week in the UK. So that was one that must have just hung around for ages, just getting its money and getting its money and getting its money as opposed to just being on top for ages. But you know, I, I re-watched Lethal Weapon 3 quite recently. My wife and I were watching all four of them. And I still, I stand by to this day, I think two and three are better than one and all three are way better than four. Yes, I would agree with that. But it kind of comes back to what I was saying as well. Being number one isn't all there is to this. It's, to quote Sir Mix-a-Lot, sometimes you don't want to hit and quit it. Sometimes you want to stay and play. You just want to loiter around somewhere in that top ten and make some bank. And that Mm -hmm. is certainly what some of these movies did. Number two, a movie I'm kind of disappointed we didn't get to discuss because, boy, we'd have got some mileage and some diamondisms out of it. It's Basic Instinct. Oh, man. Actually, my wife and I rewatched it a couple of months ago. I want to say we rewatched Basic Instinct. She'd never seen it, and I hadn't seen it since since the 90s, since like the, the days of VHS. I hadn't seen it. And it's a really, really stonking movie. Proper holds up. But, man, does it feel of its time. It feels of its time and much like the crying game it's defined by one scene mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah in a way yeah 
both of which involve genitalia. Like when people mention the crying game, they think of that scene. When people mention basic instinct, they think of Sharon Stone crossing and uncrossing her legs and revealing she's not wearing any underwear. Yeah. It is a single scene that transcends the actual movie itself. It is for the movie what Tracy Island is to Blue Peter. (laughs) There's a connection I bet none of you ever saw coming. But anyway, Basic Instinct, that took him £15,659,952. Nice. But streaking ahead, like literally almost £5 million ahead of Basic Instinct... And at the opposite end of the family-friendly scale, it's a tale as old as time. It's Beauty and the Beast, £20,466,809. Wow, because that's a 91 movie as well. So, man, that's uh, that's really impressive. It is arguably one of the movies in that top 10 that has aged the best because it's disney it'll be one of those films top of the charts for a couple of weeks and then it's just there forever and ever and ever and ever because disney uh, particularly in this time and you know they still do it to this day like to keep their films in cinemas for a long long time to recoup all that money then they put it in the vault and the prices rocket on the home video copies because that's how it worked but no longer with disney plus no And I've got to give a shout out. If you are interested in the history of Disney, particularly in this era, I cannot recommend enough a book called Disney War, uh, which is about Michael Eisner taking over as the head of Disney uh, from Roy Disney. It's how, you know, he spearheaded the Disney renaissance of the late 80s into the mid 90s. And then how that all fell apart and his relationship with Jeffrey Katzenberg and Jeffrey Katzenberg going off to do DreamWorks with Spielberg. It's a big old book. It's dense. Uh, It will take you a little while to get through, but it is so interesting. And related to Michael Eisner and his running of the Disney Empire, a YouTube channel and podcast I'll recommend is Defunctland. Yes! It looks at theme parks of all kinds, but there's a lot of it that's dedicated to Disney, Eisner, and the various properties and ideas that came about. Fascinating Mm -hmm. stuff. Kevin Perger, I think, is his name, the guy that runs it. And I absolutely love his stuff and I love his style. But anyway, so that was the top 20 of the box office. Where was Alien 3? Alien 3 was number 12, 6.5 million. I expected that to be higher up. Sadly, probably yours and mine favourite movie of the year, next to Muppet Christmas Carol. Bill and Ted made it to number 16, 5.4 million. Excellent. Excellent. 5.4 million, the new 69 dude. (laughs) Thank you. All right, settle down. Yes, it's New Year's Eve on the Games Playing Resort, the one night of the year I can shed my red coat garb and slip into something a bit more feminine. For even out here on the rig, the panto spirit is alive and obviously kicking. Even Auntie Marisha has shed her penny for the first time since VE Day and returned to Mother Nature. You can actually see her up there on the gantry. Can we give her a little bit of a ripple? Can we give her a little bit of a wave, Auntie Marisha? I tell you, they don't make women like that anymore. Dominic Diamond is in full panto mode for this episode. It's the New Year's Spectacular for 1992. And yeah, he is in full panto regalia. He's ditched the red coat for something a little bit more feminine. The panto spirit is alive and kicking. Even Auntie Marisha has shared her penny for the first time since VE Day. And she's in the crowd dressed as a horse. (laughs) They don't make women like that anymore. No, they certainly don't. And I tell you what, this is a fabulous ensemble that Dominic's wearing. He has fully embraced his panto dame to a level that will make even the sternest of widows twank. (laughs) 
It's also great as well because if you watch this on YouTube, it is the image thumbnail. So it's which is quite it's quite lovely. I'm convinced that the panto horse was played by Dave Perry because there's no way they persuaded that poor old actress to dress up as a oh. panto horse. Absolutely no way. That was definitely Dave Perry. Who has actually not been seen for a couple of episodes. Well, it's because he's been getting the horse costume ready. Oh, true. <laughs> he's method, so he's actually been out frolicking for a while. <laughs> well, it's time for our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Welcome to New Year's Eve on the Games Rig. I do hope my festive headpiece is to your liking. For tonight's first challenge, we venture out into the nether regions of our solar system, on to the Earth. The mission I've set aside is to complete the game's first level and reach Uranus without losing a spaceship. <laughs> the avoidance of black hole is highly advisable. Best of luck. We are playing Light Gun Game to the Earth, uh, released in 1990, I think. But more importantly than that, Games Master is wearing a very, very, very lovely and party-appropriate hat. There's a lot of craft paper went into this because we discussed hat size last week with his Santa hat, and now he's got the proper traditional conical party hat with the dots on. It looks lovely. Now, I would like to raise an issue where clearly Patrick Moore's background as an astronomer came into play. Because, yes, they're playing To the Earth, which involves exploring the nether regions of our solar system. And you could tell where they were going with this copy they gave him, because, of course, the first mission is taking you to, as he says, Uranus. Uranus, yeah. Now, the fact that they gave him the word nether regions means they were hoping to get nether regions and Uranus. But no, he's an astronomer. He's a serious (laughs) scientist. He's going to say it proper. But you know what? In my head, I still heard Uranus, so to speak. (laughs) So the joke still landed for me. And if it hadn't landed, don't worry, because Dom's going to make sure that it hits home. Our challenger on this game is from the pastoral village of Homersfield, where he's been buffing up his helmet for weeks in anticipation. Please welcome David Finch. Welcome, David. Now, David, you're obviously a very confident young man from the way you leap down those stairs. How are you getting on with this rather novel joystick? Well, it's pretty tough, but hopefully my bangs will come in and I'll get to Uranus. Okay, David, if you'd like to take your seat, get your helmet in your hands and get ready to start. I was going to say, yeah, because if you were worried that that might be the only bit of double entendre we get in this challenge, oh, you would be wrong because our challenger, David Finch from Huddersfield, is playing this with the laser scope helmet, which of course means we get a lot of helmets jokes so we've got helmet and uranus and a lot of double entendre it is proper panto season we've got everything we've got the panto dames we've got double entendres and yeah it's perfect let's talk a little bit about this konami laser scope because oh god we've talked about shitty gaming peripherals before i'm glad we got around to this one i wish we'd come across it earlier because this is a terrible idea terribly executed It's a headpiece. It's not even a full helmet. It's a headpiece with a crappy sight over your eye and rather than fire buttons, a microphone that you shout fire into. Yes. It was originally manufactured for one game, not this game. That game was Laser Invasion, but as it was a light gun designed to work with the NES, obviously it would work with other games, including this Konami game to the earth. It wasn't just a controller though, because it did get an early in on being a multi-purpose peripheral, because it actually feeds the audio out of the NES and the headset itself contains speakers. So you could use it as playback. 
for the audio, which is kind of cool. Unfortunately, the microphone was incredibly unreliable. Not only would it often not pick up your voice properly, it would instead pick up everyone else's voice or background noise or the dog or the television or whatever. Yeah. It was a shonky, shonky peripheral, but its presence here makes this my favorite challenge (laughs) of the episode because what happens as we get into the challenge, things just evolve into pure carnage and bedlam yeah you may recognize the laser scope or at least the sound of that if you've seen the avgn episode about nez accessories and it's funny i found a forbes article that was written around the time of the summer consumer electronics show in chicago where uh, konami unveiled it with susan back unveiling it and the quote i've got here is unfortunately the device's accuracy was poor and the microphone would fire the gun if it picked up any sound in the room. So this was doomed to fail from the start. And helping me squeeze some more awful double entendres out of this subject is my own Prince Charming, Jeremy Doldy from GameZone. Welcome, Jeremy. How you doing, Dominic? Love I'm, a frog. Thank you very much indeed. Now listen, Jeremy, any tips for our young competitor here? Well, he's got to bang his helmet as quickly as possible. How like life, eh, Dominic? How like life? <laughs> I figured you'd say something like that. So before we get into the challenge, Jeremy Doldry is also there for more, as Dominic Diamond puts it, awful double entendres. And Jeremy says that he's going to have to bang his helmet as quickly as possible because he actually does need to get to Uranus. And it's worth saying that our young challenger is in on the joke as well. Yes. Because Dominic says that he seems like a very confident young man from the way he leapt down the stairs and asks how he got on in practice with this rather novel joystick. And David says it's pretty tough, but he hopes his bangs will come in and he'll get to Uranus. And Dom doesn't touch it. Because all the work's been done for him. He invites him to take his seat and take his helmet in his hands and get ready to start. That's where we're at on this. It's all Uranus, helmet, and various other related jokes. And then the challenge essentially becomes this lad shouting bang, bang, bang. And not a lot happens because the the microphone on the helmet is just picking up every other noise. You've got screaming kids. You've got Dominic and Jeremy doing commentary. You've got production. And it's just absolute carnage so of course the poor kid fails and it's the challenge goes absolutely nowhere the helmet is garbage the highlight for me from this is jeremy saying yeah, now they seem to be attacking in waves here you basically you want to keep your helmets in a stiff sort of straight position you certainly do the stiffer the better the straighter the better you must look after your helmet at all costs dominic is saying one thing Jeremy is saying another, and also into the mix, you've got the kid repeatedly going bang, 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 while wearing this ridiculous headset that makes him look like a Borg from Star Trek if the Borg were based around mid-1990s PCs. Yeah. It's a beige Borg, which feels like a euphemism for a floating turd. And in fact, this headset is kind of a floating turd. Yeah, I mean, my note here is he failed because of terrible hardware. Completely get why they did this challenge, but there was absolutely no way in hell this kid was going to get a golden joystick off the back of this challenge. I mean, even with a regular light gun, this game would have been pretty tough because the spaceships are designed like proper spaceship, which means they have a very low profile on the screen. It's kind of like, going back all the way to season one, the clay pigeons on Duck Hunt with Paul Gannon. Just got trigger happy. Yeah, you said it first. And this kid did not get trigger happy enough. He did not, well... Maybe he got too trigger happy. <laughs> going by the amount of times he was shouting bang, he certainly had his finger on the trigger. Was that a happiness as a warm gun reference? Yes. <laughs> but they think we're going to get as far as the mothership. They're really selling the soon-to-appear mothership, but we don't get the mothership because the poor kid just loses it. His ship is destroyed. The challenge is over. Well, David, 
Bad luck, mate. You're, you're having some problems with, with a helmet there. Yeah, the bangs just won't come off and I can get to your eyes, so I'm sorry. <laughs> no one's as disappointed as I am, David, I can assure oh, you. Um, did you enjoy having a little play with it anyway? Yeah, it was good fun. Good game. And David says in the post-match that the bangs just wouldn't come off and that he just couldn't get to Uranus. To which Dominic Diamond replies, no one is as disappointed as he is. Do you know what? This is puerile. This is juvenile. This is tasteless. I laughed my ass off at this. <laughs> but David enjoyed playing it anyway and disappears off into the rafters to polite applause yeah polite applause i mean he does also talk out of his ass calling it a good game come on now mate it's not that great a game last week we had a look at choppers this week we stay in the air for flight sims first up rub your shiny helmets in unison with tornado tornado is an extremely sophisticated flight sim but that's not surprising considering the plane is very very up to date forever into the game there is an element of strategy you have to decide what your own goals are and what your own targets are going to be I think this adds to a flight sim. You'll probably find it quite difficult to get to grips with this unless you're really willing to persevere. But for hardened flight sim addicts, then this is a real winner. Well, last week we looked at choppers. Now it's time for flight sims. So once again, rub your helmets with glee as we're looking at flight sims this week. Pat McDonald from PC Format with Pat McEwen and Ian Ross doing the reviews. And up first, it's Tornado for the PC, Amiga and the ST. This is another case of an upcoming game. This game won't be released until 1993. It was one of the first flight simulators to offer head-to-head -head online dogfights and will not be the last game featured in this review section to have an online component. Yeah. Although for this it was an option for the later game, it's kind of the entire reason for the game being in existence. However, the producers of it, Digital Integration, they based their tornado modelling on publications in the public domain, did research on a tornado simulator at an RAF base, and consulted the Royal Air Force on various aspects of the game. And yeah, I mean, it gets great reviews here. Pat calls it sophisticated, which is very unsurprising as the plane is up to date. Pete says you've got to make your own mission, which really adds to a flight sim. And Ian says, although it's hard to get into, it is for hardened flight sim lovers. It gets 91%, which is a great score to get. But I will be honest here and this is on me like we said in series one when we had the flight sim review section this is on me this is not a damning indictment of flight sims overall but i don't think i could tell you anything that really separated these three games apart they all looked the same they all felt the same and aside from you know you could look into the more technical side of things here for me personally and i've watched this episode three or four times like i normally do i cannot remember a single thing about any one of them i'll be honest i've got my notes and obviously i've got the research that i did on the side i mean for example with this game they did actually do an add-on in 94 an operation desert storm topical but yeah the problem at this point is for the most part on at least visuals alone these games kind of all look the same. Next up, get a huge horizontal rise with Harrier. The first thing that strikes you about a Harrier are the graphics. They are so smooth and slick, they could give Dominic Diamond's hair a run for its money. With Harrier's varying levels, from Wookiee to Ace, if you haven't had much experience with flight simulators, this will ease you in. I would say that Harrier is the best flight sim available yet, which deals with amphibious aviation. For me, 
It's a winner. Well, let's see if we can get a huge horizontal rise with Harrier. Ian says the graphics are so smooth they can give Dominic Diamond's hair a run for its money. And Pete says it's good for newcomers as it kind of ease you in. And Pat says that it's easily the best flight sim available, but it does not get as good of a score as Tornado. It gets 87%. And I think the exact phrase he uses is the best flight sim available that deals with amphibious aviation, which is a weird fucking <laughs> phrase. <laughs> and actually doesn't make any sense. But I suppose Harrier jump jets, yeah, they were vertical takeoff planes, primarily from aircraft carriers. So amphibious, yeah, I'll, I'll give them a mulligan on it. It, <laughs> it makes sense if you're talking like someone with a thesaurus stuck up their butt. Finally, take on human opposition over the telephone lines with the aid of Air Warrior. The sound and graphics are nothing to write home about. But this is more than outweighed by the fact that everyone you encounter in the game is a real live person. When all three teams are playing at the same time, it really does create a chaotic free-for-all. I really like that. You really get into it. You have to fly and fight as real fighter pilots do, backing each other up. Otherwise, somebody's on your tail and your history. And up last, easily the most interesting game of this collection, it's Air Warrior, because this is an online game here in 1992. It was released in 1988. We're getting constant updates and improvements until, like a lot of things, EA killed it in the early 2000s. But let's just pause a second there. This debuted in 1988, and yes, it was killed by EA in 2001. Yeah, right? Now, I know at this point, World of Warcraft has been going longer, but World of Warcraft started in the broadband era. Yeah. This started in pre-broadband, pre-ADSL. 14.4 kilobits per second was probably your tops, and even then, only if you had some serious bank. It is incredible that this game was available for 13 years and built on for 13 years. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, so impressive. That game that released in 1988, and it is an online play, though, because that's what they're talking about in this. And you've got to think, in 1992, even though it is four years later, the idea of you playing a game and the people you're playing against that aren't in the room with you are real people, that feels like science fiction to the label. I didn't get the internet in my house until 98. I think my timeline was kind of similar. I had the brief cheating that I did work at an internet cafe after schools for a while, which, mm. honestly, from a work-to-enjoyment ratio, probably still one of my best-ever jobs. Yeah, yeah. I got to make coffee and browse the internet and occasionally chuck people out for being creepy weirdos. <laughs> Ian says that the game isn't much to look at, but it is impressive because you're playing against other real-life people. And Pete says that when all three teams are playing at once, it's chaotic, which is a lot of fun. And Pat says that you have got to work together, otherwise your history, a very impressive 91%. So those are three games, 91%, 87%, and 91%. A big, big week of hitters here. Also, no console entries at all. And I can't remember the last time we had that because even with the helicopter games, we had a SNES title. Yeah. We had a, a Mega, Mega Drive, Drive title. Yeah. Whereas this week, Tornado, Amiga, Atari, PC, Harrier, PC, Air Warrior, Amiga, Atari, PC, Apple, Mac. Mm. So amazingly forward thinking because at that point, PC gaming was still very much a minority. Yeah. We were still a good few years 
away from the PC boom. And finally, good news for those who've been waiting to join the Games Master Club. It is now open for new members. We'll be telling you how you can join after the show. But hey, good news, Ash. The Games Master Club has now reopened if you want to sign up for it. Ooh. Ooh. Now this... Now, this has come at a very fortuitous time for us because as we're recording this, we've only just released our Games Master Live episode. So, you know, we were posting up on, on social media about that. And what I found really lovely about posting up about that is people have started to chat. The people that we interviewed have been chatting with each other about their memories and about their experiences with Games Master. It's been very lovely to kind of like be a part of that and, and facilitate that. And interestingly, two of the people we interviewed on that Games Master Live episode replied with their experiences of being part of the Games Master Club. One of which, Dan Tootil, who was going to be featured on Games Master in a couple of episodes time, said, I only ever got one thing in the post from them which was the welcome pack. It was a thin magazine, a badge, a postcard, a few stickers, and some finger plasters. I guess there's a joke there about blistered thumbs from joypads or joysticks. Perhaps. However, Dan points out, they're for knuckles. I've got nothing then. (laughs) Did they run out of stopwatches? Because that was the other thing you apparently got, was the stopwatch. Well, that's what Phil Lunt says. The pack for signing up at Games Master Live included the first issue of the magazine, a welcome letter, badges, stickers, a postcard from Dominic Diamond, and a stopwatch with the Games Master on it. I don't remember getting a single thing from them after that. I tell you, it'll be interesting to see if any of those items ever turn up on eBay, particularly the stopwatch. Yeah, right? I like that because that's encouraging kids to start doing challenges, which we've talked about doing ourselves before. That's exactly it. So if you're one of our listeners out there who was part of the Games Master Club and got more than just the welcome pack, please do get in touch feedback at underconsultation.com. We'd really like to hear from you. Absolutely. One of the last comments on the whole discussion about what people got at Games Master Live and what people got in the um, welcome packs and whatnot was this kind of interesting discussion about what classifies as a magazine because we have obviously issue one of games master magazine we'll be starting to cover that from next week but also there was the games master monster zine which was essentially the program to games master live but did treat itself and label itself in the footers as if it was a magazine so it's an interesting i think a bit of memory tricks playing there including on myself yeah i'm convinced that maybe there were bags with magazines in and i didn't get them because they'd run out but i got the monster zine that was yet another brilliant batch of review games oh yes it was While we milk some more mileage out of corny old panto gags, let's find out what this week's celebrity challenge is. Well, after a brief period of doing the panto, oh no, it wasn't, which I'll be honest, I did very much get a kick out of. Uh, Oh no, you didn't. Very good. Uh, Dominic says it's time for our celebrity challenge, and it is time for our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Welcome back. My second offering for the evening is an athletic encounter on quest for gold. The particular event I have selected is the 100-yard dash, and contestants will have one race each to record the fastest possible time. Don't jump the gun. We're playing quest for gold. We've got to do the 100 meters sprint, fastest wins. Now, you might be able to help me out here, Ash, because I tried to do some Googling for quest for gold video game, and the only thing I could really find was a DuckTales DOS game that was called DuckTales Quest for the Gold. Well, do you want to know why you couldn't find anything on a sports game called Quest for Gold? Because there isn't a sports (laughs) game 
called Quest for Gold, not as it was released. This game was released under a different title, and that title was the Carl Lewis Challenge. <gasps> really now? And it was by Psygnosis. Oh, really? A rare sports game, but if you look at the graphics and the quality of them, you can see their fingerprints all over it because their games yeah. always look great. But this game is about more than just Carl Lewis. You can select from a variety of countries to enter your athletes from. You can train them. Uh, there's a 100-meter dash. There's the javelin. And there's the ability to play as male or female athletes. It was quite a good and diverse game. We wanted a couple of nippy celebrities for this challenge, and we've got two of the fastest men the world has ever seen. Britain's greatest ever hurdler, Colin Jackson, and Olympic golden boy, Linford Christie. <laughs> Welcome, Linford. All right, thank you very much. Now, first of all, when you were in the Olympics, guys, did you relax by playing video games? We did actually. They had a big actual video, of, like little studio, where you could go in and play a lot of uh, little sporting games. And what, what were your favourite games then? What were you playing? I'm a Pac-Man fan. I'm into the Pac-Man. What about you, Colin? Any particular favourites? Anything that's competitive, me. All right. Well, it's <laughs> certainly competitive tonight. Colin, we're doing the hundred metre sprint. You're still the Welsh record holder for that. Yeah, I am at the moment. It stands at ten twenty-nine, but uh, we'll be looking for this man's British record. Right? <laughs> <laughs> ten twenty-nine, Linford. Is that going to be easy for you to beat or difficult? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I ran twenty-nine ten. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to start calling that today, believe me. Playing this game are two of the fastest men alive. It's Colin Jackson and Linford Christie. Uh, so Colin has a total of 12 gold medals to his name. Christie won gold medal at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. However, his career has been plagued with allegations of doping. I mean, quite a lot of allegations of doping. Almost too many to be coincidental. And I'll be honest, even Jackson faced a few himself, although he was pretty much absolved of them, basically by virtue of taking some supplements that contained some Chinese herbs that were something under a different name. A very rare occasion where ignorance was a valid excuse, mm. which does make one of the jokes at the end of this challenge uncomfortable yes. in both directions. Absolutely. Now, I can see you've got your tome in your hand there. I have indeed. What does the Games Master book have to say about these two athletic challenges? Well, Dominic Diamond writes, On Games Master, we try to give the viewers yummy treats at every opportunity. Well, we surpassed ourselves on the Christmas show. It was the New Year's show, Dominic. When we had the first ever 100 metres meeting between Linford Christie, Colin Jackson and Carl Lewis. Except he wasn't the Carl Lewis, but my, how the viewers laughed at our little name-related gag. In addition to you, Tim, I'm afraid we've got some last-minute news. One of your, Linford, one of your great rivals has been flown especially over here. I think it's the first time you've met him since you won the Olympic gold. Please welcome Carl Lewis. Welcome, Carl. I know you know these gentlemen already. Now, Carl, since he won the Olympic gold, Linford has been telling anyone who listened that he's the greatest 100 metres runner in the world. What have you got to say to that? He's not. All right, just before we carry on, my mother is a massive athletics fan, big fan of all three years. Could you give her a quick wave in the camera three there? That's to Paula. All right, excellent. The funny thing was, we also had a kid called Ben Johnson who was going to appear as well, but he couldn't make it on the day. This show was a personal high for me as my family have always been huge athletics fans and I got Linford and Colin to wave to my mum live on TV. Cheers! I did like that, the reference to Paula, because Paula did have her own ties with Games Master because 
her performing arts school would provide a number of the kids that came onto the show mm. and would appear in various review sections and whatnot. So she had ties. And I believe that school may still be going today. And if it isn't, it hasn't been closed for long. She's also a regular participant in Dominic Diamond's Twitch streams, which is Amazing. lovely. Because also lovely. it means he doesn't swear too much because she doesn't like it. <laughs> well, for the games playing skills, they both get three stars, although Colin gets um, three tenths more, which we'll get into in a little bit. And for personal niceness, he's given them an infinite score just for saying hello to his mum. They seem genuinely nice and kind of happy to be there because they talk about how they've just come out of the olympics and are there video games for you to play there and they say yeah there were lots of sporting games although linford is a fan of pac-man and colin likes the more competitive games and this is where we got the surprise it is a child coming out with the name carl lewis so you get a, a rise however if you're not an athletics fan i think that joke might fall a little flat yeah, the kids in the crowd were kind of like, we're applauding, but we don't know why. No. <laughs> I did have to check because my brain didn't immediately connect it as a name-related joke until I looked in my copy of the Games Master book. Because part of me thought, is this one of their kids? Because That's what I thought. Linford's got kids. He's got eight kids. Yeah. That dude is yeah. prolific in many ways. Was he trying to get one for each medal? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it was like a, a, a little brother or something along those lines, maybe a nephew or something like that, because like I'm not an athletics fan, uh, certainly not in 1992. So I didn't really pick up on the joke until I was doing research afterwards. So yeah, so the joke did fall a little flat on me at first until I looked some stuff up. But I suppose now I get it. Yeah, it's a good joke. And do you know what? It kind of fits the corniness of the panto. Yes. And the kid is into it. The kid is playing up to it. And Linford and Colin are also playing into it, which I yeah. loved. Especially when the kid actually kind of slap down Linford by saying now he's rubbish. I loved that. That was great. If you'd like to see if Carl Lewis can smash the cream of British sprinting, join us after the break. For all those years of giving and never getting, he definitely deserves a magic moment. <laughs> Magic moments are only found in Quality Street. My very latest pop! If you don't want to hear your buns go crack! If you don't want a frazzling galactic flat! If you want to stop the lemmings on the suicide run! Or Blitz Tutu with his men as a gun! If you're gonna beat six men at two games, you need a lot more power than brains! If you wanna be a Sega nut, get inside my two stroke pack! Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Christmas, give the gift of magic that will last a lifetime. Walt Disney's classic, Cinderella. Then discover the fun when you give the biggest little mystery in history, Disney's newest classic, Basil, the Great Mouse Detective. Wrap up these Walt Disney classics on video today. Welcome back. We have three of the fastest men in history, Linford Christie, Colin Jackson and Carl Lewis, about to go head-to-head on the 100-metre sprint challenge. Helping me out in the commentary box is Stephen Apostate. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you, Dominic. Now, any tips for our three sprinters tonight? Well, uh, without wishing to be rude, it's all in the wrist. And uh, they've got to go from left to right on the joystick without catching the diagonals. If they catch the diagonals, they're going to be in trouble. Okay, so each player gets one go at the 100 metres. The fastest time wins the challenge. Carl Lewis is going first. Are you ready, Carl? Yeah. Best of luck. Off you go. Stephen Carsey is in the booth coming out of the ad break. He says this is all in the wrist. Not trying to be rude. It's the fastest time wins. And Carl is up first and he does completely lose this race and gets a time of 14.3 seconds. We get to see the races twice. And Dominic says in the replay that it was a slow start and then he got tired. A lack of stamina for this poor child. Terrible, terrible. Lack of cardio training. But did you notice the most important thing about this challenge? What's that? Did you notice the joystick they're using? I did notice, yeah. yeah. It's the Quick Joy Supercharger 3, a.k.a. the building blocks for the golden games master joystick yeah it's a good joystick choice for this because mine is obviously second hand i don't know how many times this has been waggled tapped or thrusted but it's still got some good action left in it so it's mm. definitely a good resilient choice to use for a game like this because also it's got a good amount of length on it which means that you can use leverage in your waggles you can see why dominic diamond was very very good at this show I mean, I'll be honest, it didn't even sound like you were trying to be filthy there. You did sound like you were just legitimately describing the joystick. I mean, it was a little column A, a little column B. (laughs) (laughs) Column. (laughs) Well, from column to Colin, because he's up next next and does way better than the kid. He absolutely nails it, gets 12 seconds just to flew through. And when they cut to him, you can see his hand is a blur. Yeah. Friction burns could be occurring here. And you'd think he's got this in the bag, particularly when Linford Christie gets stuck on the starting blocks. But man, maybe the doping kicked in because he then absolutely (laughs) blows. Allegedly, he absolutely flies through this and loses 
by five hundredths of a second. Oh, it was so close. If he'd not cocked it off the blocks, he wouldn't have just won this. He'd have won this probably by a second or more. Yeah, absolutely. once he got off the blocks, he was a dust trail. He was roadrunnering that. That is probably one of the tightest competitive challenges I think we've had. If we leave poor Carl out of it. Well, yeah, because Dominic Diamond continues in the Games Master book. I thought Carl would cream the other two, but his time was a bit disappointing. Limford went second. He actually went third and got a slow start, but stormed the second half of the race. However, Colin Jackson, who still holds the Welsh 100 metres record, ran a stormer and pipped Linford's time by a few tenths of a second. Linford demanded Colin be tested for steroids. Hunting Marisha took a sample, but found nothing stronger than Lucasade. Now, Carla, you said you were going to whip these guys. Tell me what went wrong. My hand slipped. His hand slipped. Oh. <laughs> All right, now let's go on to Linford. Silver medal tonight there. I know you're not famed for your starts. That was what held you back tonight. Well, definitely, you know, I was just going through cruising mode. But I think Colin cheated there somewhere along the line. There's no way he should beat me. I want him tested. I think we might get Auntie Mauricia to do a urine test on you later, Colin. <laughs> well, I use the same joystick as everybody else. Just the skill and the speed. <laughs> you do know that um, you have won a special prize tonight. I hope it makes up for the Olympic. Obviously, it's a much bigger prize than the Olympic medal. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Let's have a look. Well, you can have a look indeed, Colin Jackson, because you go on tonight with Games Masters Golden Joystick. But this was a great challenge, even with the weirdness of the kid named the same as Carl. Leave that aside. This was a great and fun challenge. It was super tight at the end. Carl claims he lost because his hand slipped. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> Linford, yeah, claimed he thought there was some cheating and wants Colin tested, which... I've written here in all caps, ironic. <laughs> yeah. And Dom says, Auntie M will give him a urine test later. I couldn't work out if that was a golden showers joke or not. My brain's just <laughs> warped by this point in the season. <laughs> Colin says he was using the same stick as everyone else. It was just the skill and the speed. Ah, oh, he was on speed like that guy from a few episodes ago. <laughs> And Dominic says that the golden joystick is way better than anything from the Olympics. Colin says, well, we'll see about that. And Dominic's like, no, 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 I'm pretty sure it is because here it is. And you've won one. <laughs> Don't you shit on our joysticks, mate. You can do tons of drugs and still win these with validity. Yeah, I thought that was a very, very fun celebrity challenge. The fact that both of them were really in on the fact that the kid had the same name, uh, the, you know, decent enough game. It was very tied to the end, as you say. Uh, I, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. This episode so far has been a lot of fun. And you know what? The fun's just beginning because it's after lunch. Patrick's recording the Consultation Zone segment, and he's been at the Brandy. Hello, young scamp. Let me guess. You've got a problem. Yes, I have. I've heard there's a hidden room on the Adams family with loads of extra lives, but I can't find it anywhere. Can you tell me where it is, please? As I'm feeling particularly magnanimous, yes. When you enter the hall, instead of entering any of the visible doors... Walk to the left until you're standing directly below the door. Then press up to enter a secret room. However, this is only the first part of this horde of goodies. Now jump onto the platform above the door and push up to discover even more extras. Thanks a lot. That's great. 
let's hope you'll now be able to get a little further into the game. Well, our first kid wants to find the secret room in the Adams family. I knew this one because I've said before, a friend of mine was a big fan of this game and he showed me this little trick. When you enter into the hall, walk to the left, press up to get into a secret room. But aha, uh -huh, there's also a secret room within that secret room. Great, great cheat. Great cheat great little exploit especially because you know what there is a good chance you discover that first room by accident but yeah. oh the second room that's for the persevering person that's for the person that wants to try every single possibility kid goes away happy and what comes up next is one of my favorite moments in this episode because i'm pretty certain it only happened because they had a prop in the studio Hello, James good lord what are you doing up here at the beginning of the London level on Dalek attack, I've heard there's an extra life and weapon to help me get started. Do you know where they are? <laughs> Impudent scam. Run through the River Thames and climb to the top of the building you see on your far left. When you reach the top, leap as far to the right as you can. Platform steps will miraculously appear underneath you. If you take seven more steps to the right and jump, another platform will appear. Keep jumping left and right until you leap across to catch the extra lives and bonuses. This will triple the power of your sonic screwdriver and make it easier for you to destroy the ogre guarding the prison door. Thank you, Gangs Master, memorable one. My pleasure, young man. Send my regards to your relations. Yes, uh, Dalek is up next, and he's heard about an extra life you can get on Dalek Attack. So you've got to head over right to the River Thames, jump up. To be honest, like the cheat doesn't matter. A Dalek is actually here talking to Games Master. A very wonky sounding Dalek. The Dalek's been at the cooking show because this sounds like a badly processed Dave Perry. Now, I am not a Doctor Who fan. Uh, I'm not really a Doctor Who viewer, never have been, and likely at this point in my life, I never will be. So I did want to ask, is this what the Dalek sounded like in the early 90s, or am I just used to the more modern era version of them sounding different? The Daleks never sounded like this. Not okay. unless they were on the piss. <laughs> okay. Basically, Daleks use a voice ring modulator. And that voice ring modulator technique has been used since 1963 and to a degree is still used today. But that wow. is not what is being done here. This Dalek has definitely seen better days. If it's an official BBC prop, I can probably place it as being one from the early to mid 80s because the late 80s, they had a bit of a makeover. They got rid of the mini indicator lights for the eyes except they mm -hmm. weren't eyes they were speech indicators the eye was the stalk at the front see this is why you don't need to be a doctor who fan because mate i've got it all <laughs> but this dalek sounds wrong it looks a bit shonky you can see the paint strokes and also the lights aren't working but it is here to ask about at that point the best doctor who game that had been made and unfortunately that in itself is not a great thing because this game is shit. <laughs> oh no well that's disappointing it shouldn't be difficult to make a decent Doctor Who game because essentially all you do is you make Monkey Island with Doctor Who. Yeah, point and click seems the way forward. That was going to be my follow-up question. Has there ever been a good Doctor Who game? There have been passable Doctor Who games. There were some done by BBC Interactive that have met with mixed results. I enjoyed them for what they were. There's a VR experience they've done with uh, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor that I am very much looking forward to trying on the PSVR because you get to go around the TARDIS in the VR headset and... That, that sells it to me. Yeah. But but no, 
Doctor Who point and click adventure game, it's really not that difficult, guys, because you know what? The sonic screwdriver is many things. It's a MacGuffin, it's an answer all, it's become a bit of a crutch in some seasons, but it's not a gun. And in this game, they treat it like a gun. And in fact, in this tip, one of the things the Games Master says when he gives you this tip that involves going to the far left of the level, climbing to the top of building, leap of faith, invisible platforms. It's a platformer trope. We've seen it before on Mario. And then you get to the top and there's a bunch of power-ups and extra lives and whatnot. And one of these maxes out the power on your sonic screwdriver so you can use it to defeat the Ogron, not an ogre, it was an Ogron, at the end of the level. But the sonic screwdriver is not a gun. You can tell because it's called a screwdriver. Yeah. They turned it into an action platformer because it was an easy thing to do with the license. And it is a shame because you know what? The game actually looks pretty good. The Mm. rendering of the sprites is nice. The enemies look like they should. Even the Doctor kind of looks like he should for the Sylvester McCoy era. But as disappointed as I was and remain by this game, I love this section on the consultation zone because the Dalek was a fun thing to have. It was right up there with the weirdness of a panto. And Patrick Moore really played into him because the Dalek thanks him at the end and refers to him as the venerable one and Games Master responds with my pleasure young man send my regards to your relations (laughs) absolutely amazing loved it to bits this wouldn't be the last time Patrick Moore would tackle with aliens because hey on my shelf waiting for a few years time we've got Independence Day UK to take a listen to (laughs) hello Games Master on Fall of the Foot Clan on the Game Boy I keep dying is there a way to restore my energy? Funny you should ask, because actually there is. Pause the game, then press the following. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, then A. Your energy should now be fully restored. Thanks a lot. And lastly, I'm surprised it's taken this long for this code to come up. The Konami code is used on Fall of the Foot Clan to get yourself all your life back. Love this game. This was the game that I mentioned on Games Master Live episode. That was my first successful purchase of an import game for the Game Boy after Simpsons Gate. My only criticism of this part of the consultation zone is this game was not hard. Mm. If this kid needs a cheat code for this game, then he does have some big problems. Because this is a single sitting game. This is not tough, but it is fun. And apart from some graphical glitching, which really showed up on the captured footage, the sprites look pretty good. Yeah, nice. Nice big sprites. Certainly the most turtle-like the turtles have looked in the 8-bit era. Well, it's time for our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Back so soon? To sober us up, well and truly, before the evening festivities, I've opted for a head-to-head bout of fisticuffs on Streets of Rage 2. The object is to inflict terminal damage on your opponent in a best-of-three fight contest. The um, dirtiest tactics tend to pay the greatest dividends, so lots of below-the-belt action, please. Seconds out. Oh, it's one of the big releases of 1992, a game I have got so many fond memories of. We are playing Streets of F***ing Rage 2. I mean, yes, we're playing Streets of F***ing Rage 2, but we're playing it in the one-on-one versus mode, which is really an also-ran feature for that. Well, it's an also-ran feature for pretty much every scrolling fighting game because the characters are designed to beat wave upon wave of enemy, not have a tactical fight with each other. And unfortunately, despite 
the gaming skill of the people we've got playing for it, I think that really shows up here. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I've got a lot of memories of playing Streets of Rage, of playing Streets of Rage 2, of playing Golden Axe with my mate Adam when we were growing up, when we were very wee nippers, but we never played the one-on-one aspect of this because if we wanted to play a one-on-one aspect of it particularly when i got street fighter 2 special championship edition we're going to play street fighter 2 special championship edition we're going to play an actual one-on-one fighter because yeah as you say these games aren't really designed to be one-on-one fighters but because one-on-one fighters are a bit of the flavor of the month at the moment that's what we get as this challenge and in fact when you have the sprites of that relative size just one-on-one in a playing field of that size. This game reminds me less of Street Fighter and more of Pit Fighter. Yeah! Yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, it's a good shout on a bad game to be associated with. For this challenge, it's Shades of 1966 revisited. We have Sega European champion, German Wunderkind Reza Abdulali, and he'll be taking on British Sega champion, Carl Roberts. Come on, Reza. Welcome, Carl. All right, Reza, thank you very much indeed for coming over tonight. What's, what's the most popular games in Germany just now? For me, it's uh, sports games. Mm-hmm. I like sports games very much, and I um, play this time um, hockey. NHL PA hockey? Yes. Corking game. Well, listen, Reza, you're the number one Sega player in Europe. You recently just pipped this young man, Carl Roberts, the British Sega champion. All right. Carl, was it a close match last time you met? Well, it was only between two or three points he beat me by, so... So should we, maybe we'll see a like, turn up here, will we? Maybe, both of us, you know, haven't played this game and it could go anyway. Okay, it should be a gripping contest. Still, it's Shades of 1966 as Sega European Champion, I'm going to butcher this name now, Razor Abdelali is going to take on British Sega Champion, Carl Roberts. So uh, I did some digging around and I managed to find an article from Mega Magazine that was published in September 1992 about this European Championship, which took place in London. Danny Curley had been disqualified as he's now recognized as a professional games player. It was left to Carl Roberts to represent Britain. However, following grueling contests on Sonic the Hedgehog, Road Rash, Green Dog, Olympic Gold, and Moonwalker, Carl ended in fourth place overall with the German competitor, Razor Abdulali being crowned as the new champion. So both challengers come down and we get some little bits of one-on-one interview. Dominic, in an attempt to bridge the international waters, asks what sort of games are popular in Germany. But unfortunately, Razor doesn't quite grab the right end of the stick and basically says what games he likes playing, which is sports <laughs> games, and specifically at the moment, NHL hockey, which Dominic describes as a corker of a game, which mm-hmm. Razor finds very funny. <laughs> I'm wondering if corker means something very different to him. But either way, nice little banter, keeping it friendly, and also not taking the low road, which I appreciate. Yes. And although it wasn't in that article that I read in Mega, I do think NHL hockey that he was talking about was the game they played in the finals of uh, the Sega European Championships 1992, which might explain why he won if it was one of his favourite games. Or maybe he just said it was one of his favourite games because he won with it and he was throwing some shade at Carl on national television, (laughs) which is a narrative I like. Yeah, and so he points out that he beat Carl at the European Championships. Now, Carl is Welsh. However, I would say he sounds more German than Razor does. I'll be honest, I thought he was Welsh with a capital W because this was a boy from the valley. Yeah, wasn't it just? But he says there was only two to three points in it, and he hasn't played Streets of Rage 2, so this should be a gripping contest. It's not. 
<laughs> and as I struggle up the stairs for the last time tonight, the only thing that keeps me going is the knowledge that Jim Douglas from the Games Master Magazine is here to help me. Welcome, Jim. Hello, Dominic. Now, Jim, we've got Axel and Blaze doing battle tonight. What can we expect to see from them? I think it's going to be quite an even fight. Blaze has got the advantage in the air, but Axel's quite a lot stronger. Okay, then. It looks like it'll be finally poised between Reza and Carl. Jim Douglas from Games Master Magazine is in the booth. It's going to be Axel versus Blaze with, I believe, Reza playing Axel and Carl playing Blaze. That's right. That is correct. Yeah, because they do a terrible job of telling you this in the actual uh, presentation of the match. They show pictures, but the problem is they've only literally introduced you to these guys 30 seconds earlier. It would have been much better to have their names superimposed rather than their pictures which they always do that's what they've done in previous episodes new years they've been on the piss <laughs> so it goes well in the first round axel picks up the sword and lobs it and misses he then picks up the pipe which he throws and misses uh, but it's been all axel so far uh, blaze makes a comeback right towards the end with a great throw and axel gets hit by some bombs and the time expires axel wins the first round by default the two sweetest words in the English language. One thing I will say that I did like on this level is the guy chucking grenades in. I'd like to see more games with hostile backgrounds. Yeah. There's always the hint of it with Mortal Kombat, but actually most of the modern Mortal Kombats, they have interactive backgrounds where you can literally like pick up characters walking past and use them as projectiles, throw them at your opponents. But no, I like the idea of there being semi-hostile backgrounds that interfere with your match a bit. This wasn't a gripping first round though. It was quite one-sided, and I think highlights what I've already said. These games do not lend themselves to a one-on-one -on -one competition. Because in order to get a lot of hits in on Streets of Rage, you've got to be in a static position, punching the person in front of you to get those combos in. But when you're playing against a human person, they're going to be constantly moving, which means your best way to get attacks in is just to jump and kick, which means it's also a quite a slow fight. Yes. And round two isn't much faster. Although, does go the other way. Does claw back some dignity. He makes some progress. He wears him down. He hits some combos. He really masters Blaze's flying kick and uses it yeah. to its maximum efficiency and takes that second round. And I do like it on one-on-one -on -one fighting games when we go the three rounds. Because... Oh, yeah. It ups the tension. Uh, particularly when they both grab weapons at the start of the third round. Axel throws his and misses, but he knocks the weapon from Blaze's hands. And I think we get a massive bit of editing here because they are up in like the top right-hand side of the screen where Blaze drops her weapon. They then cut to a reaction shot. And when they cut back to them on screen, they're in the middle of it and the sword has disappeared, which means it would have been picked up a couple of more times before eventually disappearing. So I think there was a little bit of uh, editing done there. But anyway, Axel, absolutely smashes blades to pieces in this hits quite a lot of combos gets the win and gets a little bit of booze for his troubles oh come on guys <laughs> i know it's an international competition but to be fair carl sucked at this game so give it to Rezo. oh no the combination blaze is i finished. think blaze is down yes he's done it just as blaze looked as if she was getting it back Razor pulls one out of the bag, which means that Razor Abdulali is the winner. Well, congratulations, Razor. A masterful display there. What was the difference between you? What was the secret of your success? Oh, I don't know. It's, there's, there's no secret. Every time you must have much luck. And I think now I have the luck. And next time, maybe Carl will have it. Well, as well as luck, Razor, I think you've got a rather impressive uh, pair of sideburns. If you'd like to turn to the side there, 
Look at them, absolute corpus, ladies and gentlemen. And I am totally on Razor's side here because he has a very, very humble post-match interview where he said, there's no skill, only luck. And in this instance, he had all the luck. Maybe next time, Carl will get the luck. What a lovely way to put it. Not smug at all. And also, as Dominic goes to lengths to point out, amazing sideburns. Those are full-on 70s possible member of Slade sideburns. They were amazing. Yeah. I don't know how old this kid is then if he's got sideburns that good. I mean, considering that I'm 35 and I can't grow sideburns that good. I kind of could if I wanted to, but I choose not to. (laughs) Well, the joystick is the only European currency that doesn't lose any interest and it is going home with Razar. It was a a good challenge because it was Streets of Rage 2, but it's not the best use of Streets of Rage 2, which is what I find quite frustrating about it. But it was cool to have both the European and British Sega champions there to take each other on. So I I liked it from that aspect. Certainly, if you're going to use Streets of Rage 2, make it a single life challenge. You've got to get through the first level without losing a life. Boom. Done. Easy. But it's not a versus challenge. I'd have just gone for the obvious one on this one. I'd have put them head to head on NHL again. Yeah. Got a retread of the match that gave them their respective titles. Or put them on a game like Sonic 2, because that's very popular at the moment. It's just been released. They've done a feature on it. So that would have been quite timely. But I do think that it comes up later on in Series 2. I think they have a tournament around Sonic 2. So maybe they didn't want to blow their load too early on it. Definitely wise. You don't you don't want to blow your load on New Year's Eve. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's been that kind of episode. <laughs> well, the Demagong signals the end of another show. Unfortunately, Auntie Mauritius had one cherry brandy miniature too many, so there's nothing on the menu tonight. But we're not going to let that dampen our ardour one little bit. We're about to have a swinging party here to see out 92. So before our guests explode in mirth and merriment, it just remains for me to wish you a very happy new year, and we'll see you in 93. Anyway, that kind of wraps things up. The joystick is handed, the champions depart, and Dominic Diamond says the dinner gong signals the end of another show. Unfortunately, Auntie Marisha has had one cherry brandy too many, so there's nothing on the menu tonight. Those poor kids are going to go hungry. No, it's all right. They'll find the leftover brandy as well. But they're not going to let that dampen their spirits as they're due to have a swinging party to see out 1992. And all that remains is for Dominic to wish us a happy new year and he'll see us in 1993. 1993. It shows how long we've been doing this show for, that we have done all of 1992, save for a couple of months. It's going to actually be quite weird to be talking about 1993. Yeah, 1993 is a year where I will actually get to talk about Doctor Who more because 30th anniversary. I'm sure there'll Mm. be a way for me to shoehorn that in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was episode 14 of series two. Ash, what did you make of it? I loved it. I thought that was a fun episode. I love the panto trappings. I wish they'd done more with them. Mm. I wish we'd had more. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, yes, they did. Had the panto horse Auntie M appear a bit more. He's behind you. Yeah, yeah. Played into it a bit. Really gone super cheesy because you know what? They were milking the double entendres. Dominic said it a number of times. They were really getting the most out of the tired old panto jokes. And it was great. This was a fun episode to end things on. The first challenge whilst was brilliant because you got to see one of the worst peripherals ever made in action and that is a time capsule moment i feel bad for that kid but i'm so glad we got to see it to see linford christie and colin jackson two monumental athletes of the time was brilliant and to see them in such good spirits and having such a good time and also that weird thing of seeing a game that did exist but we never saw it under that title The reviews, well, yes, flight simulators, we've talked about our love-hate relationship with them, or not even love-hate, just kind of, eh? 
relationship yeah. with them. Great to see one of the first big online multiplayer games there. Consultation Zone, Adam's Family, great. Ninja Turtles, great. A Dalek, what the hell? <laughs> Throw everything at the screen and see what sticks. And then that last challenge, while a little surreal, was great because we got to see early gaming champions. We've had Dan Curley, and now we get to see his successors, both at a European and a UK level. And throughout, Dominic Diamond as a panto dame. I literally could not ask for more from this particular festive episode. Yeah, do you know, I've got to agree with you. It's funny because we got onto this call and you said that you really liked this episode. And I was like, huh, that's surprising because I thought it was pretty okay. But going through this and talking about it you're absolutely right like i don't think i gave this episode enough credit i think i dismissed the challenge the the the, the first challenge because of the shit peripheral which is unfair because actually it wasn't about the cripple it wasn't about the game it was about making knob gags and it was funny and you could hear dominic and jeremy having a whale of a time doing that and that was really really good not really asked about flight sims but we did get to see that online game the celebrity challenge was incredibly close and that was a lot of fun as well all three games in the consultation zone had a a lot to be said about them and i adore streets of rage 2 even if the one-on-one mode isn't all that great and as i said in the when we reviewed it i love the fact that we got both the european and british champions so yeah overall this was a really really good episode i'm thinking of going into the 90s here but i'm gonna gonna cap it at 90 percent see i was gonna go a little bit above because it's the last of 92 92 very very nice well, that is all we have got time for on this edition of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening, downloading and supporting this podcast. If you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Under Console Pod. We're also on Instagram, under.console. And you can get in touch at feedback at underconsultation.com. And also, if you want to hear our episodes a week early and ad-free, you can go over to our Patreon, and we have three different levels. We have the £1 level, for which you get our eternal thanks and gratitude. You have the £5 level, for which you get our eternal thanks and gratitude, and those aforementioned episodes a week early and ad-free. If you've got some Christmas cash left over, or maybe you didn't spend it all on booze for the New Year's, £10 a month will get you our eternal thanks and gratitude, the episodes a week early and ad-free, and a merch pack including mugs, stickers, badges, discount voucher for our first t-shirt, and some sweeties. Hey, it's great. And to shout out those $10 backers, Adam Warrington, Cliff Foster, Gordon Dempster, Martin Harder, Misha Sumra, Rich Pemberton, and William Cottingham. Thank you all so much for backing us at that level. We really hope that you enjoy our version of the Games Master Club. And some of those aforementioned people, as well as ourselves, are over on our Discord, where we have a nice little bit of back and forth. Today, we had talk about socially responsible movie monsters. Jason, very, very nice. Indeed. Jason Voorhees wears a mask, socially responsible in these enlightened times. <laughs> Freddy Krueger, less responsible. Very, very good stuff. And we will see you in seven days' time, because in seven days' time, it is going to be 1993. Take care. Good night.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.